Good morning to everybody if you are in the US and uh, good day, good afternoon to all to our participants from all over the world. Uh, I'm Nicolas Borneus of Capital Inc. I would like to welcome you uh, to Capital Inc's webinar today on the dry bulk sector. I would like to thank you for joining us. We have overwhelming attendance. Uh, I think the topic and the timing uh, are spot on. Um, we have a great uh, uh, group of panelists with us, the um, CEOs of major uh, dry bulk companies. And uh, I would like to thank uh, Randy Gibbons uh, of Jefferies for uh, uh, being the moderator. Uh, and of course, you know, we all, uh, uh, Randy uh, just had his second uh, daughter. So we officially uh, give our congratulations and best wishes to him. He's actually on paternity leave today, but he's taking time for the uh, webinar. So thank you, Randy. Thank you, Martin, Aristides, Hamish, and Lucas. Uh, and uh, Randy, the floor is yours. Uh, we'll do uh, a Q&A, a discussion, and then we'll take questions from the floor. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much, Nick. Thank you, Capital Inc., for the, uh, for the opportunity. Yes, and uh, just excuse the bags under my eyes. It's, it's been a long week, but all good on that front. So, uh, without further ado, if I can just have each of the four panelists just give a quick introduction of their name, their title, and their company, and maybe what sector or subsector asset class their company focuses on, and then we'll run through run through some uh, dry bulk supply and demand questions. So, Aristides, let's start with you. All right. Uh, I am the CEO of uh, Eurodrive, which is a bulk uh, carrier company. We own seven vessels and uh, we've been uh, listed uh, as Eurodrive for a couple of years, since 2018. But uh, Eurodrive was spun off Eurosys, which was a listed uh, mixed fleet company for uh, about uh, 20 years. So we are one of the eldest companies that were listed on the US capital markets. Uh, I continue to be a CEO when Eurus is the container company. Awesome, Hamish? Sure, I'm Hamish Norton. I'm the president of Starbolt Carriers Corp. And uh, we have 116 dry bulk carriers, about a third Cape Size and Newcastle Max, about a third Panamax and Camser Max, and about a third Supermax and Ultramax. So, we span uh, the size ranges in dry bulk above handy. Excellent. Martin. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, Martin Wade, CEO of Grinrod Shipping Holdings. Uh, we own and control 35 uh, ships, uh, of which three are tankers, MRs, and 32 are handers and Supermax, Ultramax. And we're owners and also operators sitting on some seven, eight million tons of cargo a year, and also listed on the NASDAQ since 2018. Excellent. And Lucas. Uh, good morning. Uh, I'm Lucas Barbaris, president of Safe Safe Balkes is listed in Europe Stock Exchange since 2008. We have uh, 42 ships, uh, mainly uh, a part of a four of Capes. We have uh, uh, Cam, uh, post, uh, uh, Panamax, uh, Camsamax, and post-Panamax vessels. Awesome. All right, well, hey, thanks for that introduction. Yeah, obviously, what we're kind of currently is a little counter-seat, a lot of strength in the first year, January, also 
start uh, pretty much across the board dry bulk equity, and obviously the dry bulk rate side as well. So starting with demand, uh, dive in. Right, obviously the China demand is pretty high. Steel production is pretty high throughout. Iron ore inventory in China are very manageable, right? Not all close, but still not a high. So with that, our is good, high iron ore, good or bad for dry bulk in line or in So Aristides, start with you on that for the iron ore demand. How is Yes, uh, Randy, I couldn't hear you very well. I wonder if the others in the panel could hear. Could you all hear guys well? No. no. Maybe, Randy, Randy, if you don't mind, repeat your question because it, it came a little bit... Uh... I, I heard the question, but, but your connection is not very good. Uh... All right. I'll grab some headphones, but while I do that, if you can answer yeah. the question, Chinese iron ore demand, how is that? Sure. Well, the Chinese iron ore uh, has demand has been uh, growing uh, every year, uh, and uh, even last year in 2020, despite uh, despite the uh, coronavirus issue, uh, we saw a huge increase overall in iron ore. Uh, uh, imported uh, into China, it increased by about 9% overall. The first quarter was low, but uh, after the first quarter, we had a significant uh, increase uh, in, in the imports of uh, China, uh, which had to do with the Chinese economy uh, overcoming the COVID issue very quickly. Uh, having put in uh, these uh, measures to, to improve uh, the, their own economy with infrastructure works, which helped. Plus also, uh, they even started exporting uh, more steel uh, than uh, previously towards the end of the year. Uh, this has led to significant price rises uh, in uh, the commodity, uh, which are also seen in the price rises in, in steel, in the finished good produced. Uh, this indicates that the demand is there. And of course, we think that this is something that will continue into 2021. Uh, as the rest of the world also starts uh, getting over COVID, hopefully sometime in the summer. Uh, and uh, we feel that uh, all these uh, uh, trillions that have been uh, put into the global economy uh, by, by, by the banks, uh, the federal banks, um, to support uh, the economy uh, are finding their way into the into the markets slowly slowly and will result in a very significant uh, growth uh, in steel requirements within uh, 2021 the, therefore uh, we believe that this is uh, one of the areas that will benefit uh, tremendously uh, this year, um, 
the, the part of the question says what, what, what do we think about the rising prices and how this might influence demand. I think uh, it, 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 the rising prices indicate the need of the commodity. Uh, I don't think that we will, we'll, we will see a slowdown in the trade because of the rising prices. In fact, what I think we will see is uh, all the, uh, the, all the uh, iron ore producing countries trying to increase their production and therefore uh, having uh, greater uh, volumes that will be shipped. So overall, I think this is a very positive thing. Uh, the higher prices will also lead to higher investments in new mines. So I expect that this will have a lasting effect going forward in the improvement of the market. Ah, we lost... Lost Randy. Randy. So anybody want to add something on what I said since we're trying to find yeah. Randy? Sure. I, I guess, you know, I, I would, um, you know, just just add that, um, you know, iron ore prices are high, but but steel prices have been rising. And so, you know, Chinese steel producers, you know, even though they have to pay a lot for the iron ore, are getting a lot for their steel and, you know, their profitability has continued to be strong. So as, as long as the steel producers can be profitable, high iron ore prices are really just incentivizing the producers of iron ore to produce more, which is good for dry bulk. Sure. And let's touch and, on and, the- And sorry, Randy, can I just add there, the other interesting thing that, that freight as a portion of the iron ore price is at a historical low. Got it, right. No, that is certainly- so, Iron ore being right, we can we can we can go a bit of a bit of a way yet before I think we have any impact on, on the iron ore price or still still production costs. Okay. Lucas, I'll turn this one to you. Speaking of kind of the producer, you know, we saw in the news the fire at the uh, the Ponta de Madeira facility in Brazil. How are Brazilian exports flowing? I know Vale's had some issues. What is the kind of market coming out of Brazil right now with the fire and without? Uh, look, I think that uh, this fire will have a, 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 a marginal uh, effect on the, the operation of uh, the facility. Uh, of course, it will help probably a smaller size vessel than the uh, or seas like uh, capes. I mean, it will benefit, I think, in the next uh, couple of months. Uh, but then the production will... Uh, uh, and the exports will continue uh, as normal. I think they will be quite fast. Uh, the important thing is that, uh, uh, and we need to pay attention to that, is that we have a strong market ahead of us uh, coming out of uh, COVID-19, which hopefully this will happen during uh, 2021, in the first uh, half. And the people uh, will uh, come out, will, uh, the economies will try to be back and uh, we will, uh, and supported by, uh, all these programs uh, that, uh, let's say, China has and maybe the United States will also have uh, in the near future, uh, they will, uh, we will have uh, a good support uh, from uh, the demand side and uh, because of the 
supply side of the vessel is quite limited. I think we will have good markets during 2021. Sure. All right. And then if you look at kind of what's going on with China, Australia, uh, Martin, if you can answer this one, just looking at the tension there and the impacts on dry bulk shipping, I know they're kind of turning away coal and, and really any imports from Australia. How has that been impacting the dry bulk shipping as of late? I don't want to get too excited, but fantastic. And I hope it lasts for the rest of the year. Um, with La Nina, you've got Northern Europe, uh, Northern China, particularly in, in Northern China, Northern Asia, having incredibly cold winter. Um, a lot of the countries, China, Korea, uh, Japan, short on coal, uh, LNG prices through the roof. Uh, with Australia blocking China, uh, they're getting their coal from elsewhere, Colombia, South Africa, there's even uh, ultramaxes out of the Black Sea. Uh, and in return, Australian coal prices, of course, have halved and probably some of the cheapest in the world. So Australia now is obviously importing a lot into India, Bangladesh and places, but also to Europe. So hmm. we've got a, a double whammy on this. So um, law of unintended consequence. Uh, yeah, long may it last. So I think it's very, very positive. Yeah, seems like that inefficient market is boosting ton mile demand, right? Um, and we saw that was kind of the, the U.S.-China trade spats and these other. Um, all right, looking a little longer term, I guess, you know, China, they continue to say in their five-year plan they want to build some more infrastructure, build some iron ore mining um, overseas, right, and kind of accelerating those projects. Why is that kind of diversification of the iron ore supply for China? Uh, why is that so important, and, and how would that impact the dry bulk market? maybe in five to 10 years. Um, so Hamish, you want to give that one a go? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, look, uh, at the moment, um, Chinese iron ore demand is primarily served by Australia, which is a pretty short trip. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the Chinese are trying to diversify their iron ore sources away from Australia. Um, so, uh, you know, first of all, that means that Brazil will take share. And anytime Brazil takes share of the iron ore market, that's great for dry bulk because Brazil mm -hmm. is almost three times as far away as Australia. But, you know, African iron ore sources or potential African iron ore sources are also quite a bit farther away from uh, China than Australia is. And, um, you know, look, if, if Australia starts serving the European iron ore demand and Africa and Brazil take share, uh, you know, serving the Chinese iron ore demand, that's another situation where, you know, ton miles are just increased as, you know, people take the, you know, the, the, the least efficient routes. Um, you know, and when when people take inefficient routes, that's great for dry bulk. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> hey, Lucas, can you give us some insight on coal, right? We've heard a lot about coal getting attention on decarbonization, renewed focus on the environment. So I guess two questions. What are your expectations for maybe, maybe global coal demand uh, in 2021? And then more importantly, the global... Uh, kind of ton mile demand for shipping coal, right? They're not always the same. So if you can kind of shed some light on that. Uh, look, uh, due to decarbonization, uh, the long uh, term uh, uh, prospects of coal, I mean, when we say long term, it will be longer than, uh, uh, I mean, 
after 10, 15, 20 years towards 20, 30, 40s, uh, the trade will be gradually stabilized or even reduced. However, for the shorter period ahead of us, uh, the, the coal is a, a very important uh, uh, fuel in any energy mix of uh, several countries, especially in China. And we see, for example, that uh, when we have, let's say, a, a cold weather somewhere, uh, and maybe sometimes, as it happens, uh, maybe the LNG price is going up, the imports uh, are increasing. So I think that uh, coal in the short term uh, will continue to be a, a very important uh, commodity for uh, for the shipping, for the dry bulk shipping, uh, while in the long prospects after, uh, let's say, 10 to 20 years, uh, this the importance will be reduced. Uh, I okay. think that uh, decarbonization is very important uh, and uh, also uh, we are strongly support all the measures by IMO or European Union towards decarbonization because uh, this will, uh, I mean, we need to participate in this uh, part and uh, do our share. Okay. All right. Two more demand questions. Uh, this one to Aristides. Chinese demand for soybeans, right, surged during 2020, likely looking pretty strong for 2021, uh, as obviously the Chinese swine herd kind of recovers from the African swine fever a couple years ago. So given this increased needs for imports, what are your predictions for Chinese imports of U.S. soybeans this year under a new, you know, Biden administration? Well, Randy, it's, it's difficult to say exactly what will happen uh, because it, it will depend on the discussions that will be held uh, regarding U.S. trade with China. We all know that uh, by the Biden administration is, is probably going to be much more, uh, uh, much more in favor of globalization uh, than, than certainly Mr. Trump was, and the continuation of of sharing uh, the benefits of globalization within the within the whole planet, uh, I, I think are much improved today uh, because of the Biden administration. Um, so, so this is a very positive thing for trade globally. I think that also with China we will see an improvement uh, in, in the relationship, uh, but this cannot be certain. Um, however, uh, grains, soya beans, uh, all, all, all these uh, agricultural products that are used to feed the people and are more used as the people get uh, richer uh, and can afford all these uh, commodities, uh, this bodes well uh, for the dry bulk industry because the planet is growing, we have more people. Uh, I am pretty sure that we will see increased trade, uh, not only with China, but everywhere uh, in the world uh, with, uh, with all these agricultural goods. And as you correctly said, we had, uh, we had a dip last year due to the swine flu, uh, which killed uh, a huge amount of uh, of the Chinese uh, uh, swine fleet, let's say, uh, 
uh, dust has recovered to pre-spine flu levels. So I, I think the, everything looks quite positive for, 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 the, for next year at least. Okay. And then I guess last question on demand, and I'll open this up to anyone because it's probably the most important question, right? In about three weeks, you'll see Chinese New Year. Historically, it's been a very slow time for dry bulk shipping, right? Rates kind of trend lower into it, stay weak during it, slowly rise out of it. 2021 seems like it could be different, right? Do you believe that it will be different? And if so, why? Open to the panel. Can I, can I start there? It, it's already been oh, announced. My so it's already been announced by China. They, they're staggering Chinese New Year. They can't afford, when you think logically, to have seven, eight hundred million people moving around the country with Corona. So they've already announced it's going to be staggered over actually several months. Factories will remain open and, and they will do it in a completely different manner. And I think this is maybe where people have been getting it wrong. This assumption that the market will now fall off a cliff. I don't think from an economic point of view they can afford it, nor can they afford it from a corona perspective. So what we're picking up, it might ease a little bit, but this is this is going to go through. It's going to be like uh, no other Chinese New Year. Well, any others? If I may add, if I may add that uh, we, we are already, uh, you know, 20th of January, nearly the 20th of January. The dry bulk market usually at this stage uh, it, is very slow. It isn't this year. We have the highest dry bulk market of the last decade uh, in January up to now. This is an indication that there is demand there. There's a lot of demand there. And we're not following the usual pattern where things slow up during the European Christmas and the Chinese uh, New Year period. I think that there is a lot of momentum here that will gather uh, uh, within the next couple of months. And uh, coupled with what Martin said, we will see we will see a pretty stable market uh, during the next couple of months. Okay. Uh, I think that uh, uh, I mean everybody is quite positive, and uh, for twenty twenty one. And uh, we, we must be positive because uh, it's a unique uh, situation where we see several things happening at the same time. From one side, the order book is uh, limited. Uh, the financing, uh, I mean, several banks from Europe have uh, left, uh, so the financing is limited. There, there, uh, uh, so the, the supply side is uh, very well controlled. Uh, from the other side, the, the, the demand for the transportation, uh, it, it looks that it will increase during the year because of several, uh, uh, because of several uh, um, support uh, that uh, several banks around the world uh, are, uh, uh, let's say, printing money and uh, they are providing uh, additional funds to the economies. Uh, I think that. Uh, as I said before, uh, the time that the people will uh, come out again uh, after this, uh, let's say, situation of distress, which uh, had uh, uh, closed us for, uh, let's say, several, several months, it will be as if a, a war is finishing, like uh, the Second World War. Everybody will go out for one or two years 
everybody will be happy, will be ready to spend. Uh, the states uh, provide the support. So I think uh, 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 that we will see very good uh, uh, shipping markets ahead of us in 2021, both from the supply side driven and the, and the, and the demand. Yeah. Right. And I wouldn't underestimate the impact of oil prices, the benefit of high oil prices to the dry bulk market. It's, it's something that people don't pay attention to often, but um, charter rates in the dry bulk market are more or less proportionally affected by increases in the oil price. Um, you know, when, when, when bunker rates go up, there is pressure on the fleet to slow down. And the only thing that keeps the fleet from slowing down are high charter rates. And if there's a demand for moving these dry bulk commodities, the charter rates have to go up to accommodate that demand for shipping services. And, you know, with the vaccines being distributed and demand for jet fuel and other oil products going up. Oil prices have been strong. Bunker prices have been strong and getting stronger and that's pushing charter rates up. So yeah. that's gonna continue, we think. For sure. And uh, Hamish, I'll come back to you on kind of fuel, um, fuel spreads and things like that uh, in a few minutes. But back to Lucas, you kind of mentioned it, uh, segueing into the supply side of the equation. Uh, so I'll, I'll start this question to you. You know, obviously we have kind of IMO 2020 behind us, but now you have some regulation, environmental uncertainty around IMO 2030, right? And kind of future regulations impacting shipping. So how is this affecting your fleet renewal process and, and thoughts on that? Hey, look, it's quite tricky how to approach this issue. And uh, we have That's why I asked you. Yes, <laughs> I know, and we have done uh, a couple of orders. So the idea behind uh, ordering is renewal of the fleet, not expansion. Uh, and uh, the new, and we know that there are two important limitations that will be introduced in the next, let's say, two to three years from now. The one is uh, the so-called uh, energy efficiency design index uh, that requires the new builds to be. Uh, by 30% more efficient compared to 2008 uh, emission regulations. Uh, I mean, the, uh, until now we have 20% uh, lower uh, and we will move to 30% to lower, uh, which is something. But uh, also there's another indicator which is called carbon intensity index that will be introduced and uh, this uh, will measure uh, the actual emissions of the vessel. So it will be a measure of uh, grams of CO2 emitted uh, per tonne uh, per mile. Uh, I think uh, this will give uh, a clear picture to the, uh, I mean, uh, to the, to everybody, uh, how polluting is uh, the ships and will introduce uh, through, probably through schemes which uh, could be ta uh, energy taxation or carbon taxation, in several countries, including the European Union, and maybe uh, with Biden administration, it could also be United States. Uh, so the polluter uh, will pay. All this will uh, introduce uh, probably slow steaming in order to achieve these uh, limitations. 
And I think that uh, this will be a good prospect for the longer uh, uh, part of the cycle, longer throat of the upper part of this cycle that could last uh, maybe not for one or two years, maybe it could last for three or four more years. Got it. So I think and then, this, is, this is an important thing, and we we have done our exercise, and we are we are in this uh, respect, and we don't we we don't uh, uh, we're not intend to uh, order uh, too many ships. I mean, the, the company's thesis is to gradually renew the fleet with modern, energy-efficient ships that will be able to last for the next, let's say, fifteen to twenty years. Got it. And then following up on this, and turning over to Hamish for a second. You know, what are your thoughts around new buildings? Is that a good idea or pretty much a non-starter at this point? And before you answer that, I know there is a pretty large gap, right, between a new build price and a five-year price. Um, seems like the, the disconnect there is pretty in favor of the secondhand acquisition. And I also know Starbuck recently purchased, right, three, I guess, 10-year-old cape sizes. So they, the, your actions may answer the question, but... That said, kind of, what are your what are your thoughts on that? New builds for second hands, and kind of, where do you view them? Well, we're not brave enough right now to order a new building in the face of environmental regulations that are clearly, let's say, unstable. Uh, you know, in the old days, when you ordered a new building that was legal at the time you ordered it, it was grandfathered in for its sure. entire useful life. Um, uh, we do not have faith that at this point, if you order a new building that's legal today, that it will be grandfathered in, you know, for its its entire remaining useful life. Um, so we want to wait and see what the political environment looks like, what the regulatory environment looks like. And, you know, what we're seeing in terms of the actions of other ship owners is that a lot, if, 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 if not maybe almost all the other ship owners, are taking the same attitude. They're, they're waiting. Uh, they're, yep. they're seeing what the regulations end up requiring. Um, they're seeing what sort of engine they're going to need to use. They're seeing what sort of fuel they're going to need to use. And so I think across all sectors of shipping, you know, dry bulk tankers, container ships, you know, you name it, uh, there's going to be less ordering than you would normally have while people figure out what kind of ship is the ship of the future. Yeah. And that's great. And yeah, for sure. We've seen that in recent months and quarters. Just look yeah. at the, you know, in our recent quarterly, uh, our Jeffrey Shipping Outlook, we included the order books of fleets for all subsectors, right? Mm -hmm. And pretty much all the charts were down and to the right, right? So the order books of yeah. fleet ratios are very low. And a lot of it has to do with that kind of regulation uncertainty. Yeah. Um, now let's look at the other end of the equation. Martin, I'm going to turn this one to you. You know, looking at scrapping. Obviously, there were a lot of breaker yards closed down during 2020, maybe some pent-up demand uh, for older ships during 21. That said, the back half of the year was, was pretty elevated uh, in terms of scrapping, at least in the dry bulk sector. But now, you're also seeing Bangladesh paying up to $500 a ton for scrap steel. So with that, will 2021 exceed the 15 million deadweight tons or so that we saw in 2020 for dry bulk scrapping? 
Interesting question, because obviously the steel price is sky high, scrap price sky high, yards having to pay up. Traditionally, in a rising market, very few owners scrap. But going to what Hamish said, of course, it is new regulations. And if you're getting 500 bucks a ton for a 15, 18, 20, 25 year old ship, this is good money. Or right. you can risk going forward. So I suspect that it might just surprise on the upside against proper convention, normal convention, because I think owners are going to face this. If we continue trading, more and more problems with ESG, is it worth the risk? And at 500 bucks a ton for an old ship, might make the most of it. Yeah, you, you, there's certainly three main variables in scrapping, right? Your, your steel price, your scrap steel price, day rates, and fuel price. Scrap steel is going up. Fuel prices are going up. Now, day rates are also going up, so we'll see how those kind of balance out here in the coming months. Um, Aristides, turning to you, you know, shipping dynamics in 2020 were pretty much all about COVID-19, all about economic recovery in China. Obviously, that was the very clear winner. Now, what other markets, uh, kind of on a regional trade, are you most hopeful to see for recovery in 2021? Firstly, let, let, let me say something about scrapping because sure. I, I, I really think that uh, we will see very little scrapping because we will see high charter rates. I think that we will see high charter rates uh, and uh, very few people uh, are going to be scrapping their chips uh, despite the high scrap price. The, this the, and uh, I can speak for ourselves. We, we, we are both on the container and on the dry bulk sector, the company having the elder ships. And our calculation is always extremely simple. Is it worth passing the next special survey or is it not worth passing the next special survey? Do I do it for another two, three years of trading or do I not do it? And if the market is good, you recover the dry dock uh, cost including the installation of the ballast water treatment plant quite quickly at markets of $15,000 a day. So, so I, I think we will see very, very little scrapping. Uh, regarding uh, the, the areas where we could have a growth in trade, uh, I, I really think that uh, the Far East is, is the area which has, uh, is going to be growing faster than the rest of the world uh, and where we will be seeing uh, more, uh, more need for vessels. I, I don't have any particular area that I want to say that this is, is going to, to, to jump and surprise us. I don't expect surprises. I expect China to be the strongest importer by far, more than 50% of growth. Uh, we had about 60% of growth of iron ore this year came out of China alone. Uh, but we will see India, Vietnam, uh, oh, the Far East will be the strongest area, I think. Yeah. All right, that's fair. All right, so I'm taking notes here. I've got Martin with the over on 15 million deadweight tons for scrapping and Aristides with the under. So we're going to circle back at the end of the year and we're giving out a prize. Um, all right, another group question. I'll leave this to everyone because it, it touches on all of your companies, right? Starbulk has the largest fleet of kind of Cape sizes and Newcastle Maxis. We'll throw those in uh, among the group. Safe Balkers, you certainly have some exposure uh, to the largest asset class, while Eurodry and Grinrod, you know, do not have any. 
So given a hopeful, sustained global economic recovery in 2021, what are your thoughts around maybe operational exposure or lack thereof in this largest kind of Cape size segment? Whoever wants to start, feel free. Well, uh, maybe maybe I can start. Um, you know, we're pretty optimistic about the Cape market. Um, you know, the Cape market is very dependent on steel. And so that, you know, basically boils down to being optimistic about the steel market. Um, and, you know, the steel, steel industry is experiencing a strong recovery, um, uh, you know, as, as you know, COVID-19 hopefully starts to disappear. Um, you know, iron ore ton miles are, we think, growing. Um, as Brazil slowly takes share, as uh, China looks to alternatives to diversify away from Australia, that's going to, we think, boost ton miles of iron ore significantly over the next few years. Um, and, you know, the supply side looks great. <laughs> looks great. The order book for capes is at an all-time low. Uh, you know, the, the overaged VLOCs are being uh, retired from the market. And, uh, you know, Ponte de Madeira is, is retiring them maybe even a little quicker, um, you know, as, as uh, I think one of the, the panelists pointed out, uh, you know, Ponte de Madeira is not able at this point to load VLOCs um, in, uh, in one of its berths, um, and that may take a while to fix. Um, so, uh, you know, we think 2021 is going to be a strong year for capes. The FFA market has started to reflect this and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but we think it'll okay. be good. Martin or Mirastidis on the kind of non-cape size, you okay without capes? Uh, very happy. We, we were in capes a few years ago, happy now. We, we, we like the handies, which has an even more positive outlook in terms of order book. Um, and at the end of the day, yes, you obviously, you know, China producing steel, but also any infrastructure spending in America, it's going to be cement and steel, which is uh, handies and supras, ultras, uh, grain. Uh, the other thing, everyone talks about soya beans, that the outstanding U.S. corn sales, 29 million tons still to go in the next seven months. That's all, all in, the, in, in the smaller sizes. And I think we'll see that the whole world has changed to a degree. Globalization is alive and well, but supply, change, supply chains have, have, have changed. Instead of just in time, I think we're now getting just in case for an awful yep. lot of commodities. And this filters in, into the smaller sectors. So we're very happy. Maybe we won't get Hamish's 150,000, but... Tell you what, if we get 25, 30,000, we'll be very happy. Noted, think, noted. Yes, uh, I, I think that uh, obviously the bigger the ship, you, the, the bigger the return in a very good market. Uh, so so uh, CAPES can really uh, uh, perform extremely well uh, if the need for iron ore uh, is, is big. Uh, so... I, I can see a good recovery in capes and we don't have any capes, but we will of course see the same kind of recovery uh, in Panamaxes and Cancer Maxes, uh, which also transport uh, a lot of the iron ore. 
uh, and, but also ultramaxes from what Martin said. We know that the, the markets move more in parallel, but uh, so, so when, when uh, the market lifts for caves, it always also lifts for the smaller vessels. Uh, the opposite doesn't always happen, but it happens many times. What we don't like, and uh, it has perhaps to do a little bit with our size, is the fact that when you have caves, you are relying on one commodity and one customer, which is China, and that can uh, create a, a huge volatility. And shipping is a very volatile business anyway. So we were kind of happy having you know, the medium sizes uh, from supermaxes up to cancer maxes uh, and being active in that market. It's big enough to give good returns in a good market and uh, small enough to have less impact in a bad market. So, sure. Yeah. All right. I have uh, one more question for each of you. Lucas, you want to say something? Go for it. Yes, I, I agree with Aristides. Uh, I mean, I, we are happy to see uh, the Cape market to be strong because also this uh, uh, mitigates to the smaller vessels. I mean, from our side, uh, uh, the majority of our fleet is, um, of our Cape fleet is uh, fixed at a higher prices than the market. Uh, but still, uh, they, we have, let's say, some exposure in the, uh, in, the, in the spot market, which is very nice to have, let's say, better profits. So we are quite happy to have that. Okay. Yeah, one more question for each of you for me, and then we have a, a, a litany of questions on the Q&A side. So, um, Lucas, while I have you here, you know, there certainly has been a, a kind of Brexit, right, a private equity exit from dry bulk recently. Uh, we've seen that from, you know, some vessels being sold into Starbulk, uh, buying out some private equity partners. We've seen that from private equity investors selling shares in, in Genco and others uh, in recent weeks. So how will this impact kind of future financing needs and also kind of public equity trading volumes? Look, I think that private equity has a different uh, scope and a different horizon of, of investing. Uh, so uh, at a certain point of time, they need to materialize their profits. But shipping business is a little bit different. Uh, the, the financing, uh, I think, is uh, uh, from our point of view, is that uh, we, would, we, we don't mind if uh, private equity is participating in uh, shipping companies. Of course, uh, everybody has the right. But uh, I mean, I was uh, when I, once I was uh, once in the far past that I was in New York. Uh, I mean, one private equity asked me what is our exit strategy, and what I said is that uh, our exit strategy is that uh, we don't have exit strategy from shipping, while, for example, a private equity has an exit strategy for shipping. So I mean, um, safe bulkers and uh, our team is here for um, let's say for the following uh, for several following years, hopefully. Uh, to, to, to try to play the, the shipping market itself and not uh, mix it with uh, other, uh, um, I mean, with, with other needs that, uh, let's say, the financing uh, equity markets are, uh, are need to do. This sure. is very important for us. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, and good kind of segue to the next question. Um, I'll flip this one to Aristides. You know, you, you mentioned, uh, Lucas mentioned around the exit for safe bulkers from dry bulk is non-existent. 
Now, that hasn't been the case, you know, with, with another peer, Scorpio Balkers. Obviously, they've exiting dry bulk going into WTIVs. We've also seen some diversification away from dry bulk from one of your peers, Navios, right? NMM um, bought out or merged with NMCI. So, Aristides, your, your company, you know, EuroDry, on the dry bulk side, you have EuroCs on the container ship side. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of consolidating the two or just consolidation in general, as well as on some of these companies kind of diversifying away from dry bulk? Sure. Well, firstly, uh, let me say that both these examples that you gave of, of uh, diversifying away from dry bulk or merging uh, containers with bulkers came at a time when the dry and the decisions were taken at a time when the dry bulk market uh, didn't look positive at all. So that's when these things in, were initiated uh, about six months ago, uh, something like that when the market was lousy. I think that uh, both the companies might have uh, uh, regretted this, uh, this decision because the prospects now look good for dry bulk. And uh, if Scorpio wanted to, do, uh, to, to make an investment in something else, they could do a different uh, investment, a, a, a completely new investment. They felt yep. that the dry bulk didn't have a future. I think this has changed over the last three months and people are more optimistic about it. And also uh, talking about the Navios containers merging into Navios, I think again, that reflected the need that Navios had for some uh, increase in equity and the containers were starting to go extremely well and they decided to merge them in order to help uh, you know, the, the mother company. But, and I say that because I am convinced that uh, the markets do not want to have mixed fleets. We were a mixed fleet. Eurosys was a mixed fleet for over 10 years of dry bulk and container ships. And I can tell you the markets didn't like it. The day we separated the two companies, the day we did it, the market capitalization of uh, both companies added together was 50% higher than what it was prior okay. to, the demur, to, to, to the separation. So I am convinced that the markets like to see uh, focused companies uh, and the investors can choose if they want to invest in dry bulk, in container, in whatever they want to do. So that's yeah. one thing. On the other hand, I, I do admit that the size of our companies uh, both on the container and on the dry bulk side, more on the dry bulk side, are relatively small to take the full to get the full advantage of, of being in the capital markets because there is an advantage and, and we've been uh, talking about this many, many times, no need to repeat the arguments, but there are advantages of being listed uh, our, and for a small company to, to be able to uh, take advantage of all these things, uh, we should grow the company. So the intention is to grow. And if that is with a merger or something like that, it's something that may happen in the future. But okay. it's definitely worth being listed. Yeah, no, that's fair. And focused, yeah. All right, uh, Martin, I'll, I'll finish with you. But before that, Hamish, uh, coming to you mm -hmm. on fuel spreads, right? You are the scrubber guru, uh, for lack of a better term here, I guess your company, Starbuck, right? 
So what are your thoughts on kind of the fuel spread this year? Um, obviously, we've seen some expansion recently, comments around scrubbers. A year ago today, scrubbers were the best thing since sliced bread, right? $300 a ton spreads. It was just incredible. Um, this summer, people were laughing at you, right? Oh, those scrubbers, we knew they wouldn't work. The payback period's 20 years, yada, yada, yada. Now, $100 a spread, you're starting to see a little bit of kind of tick up. Oh, these scrubbers could be profitable again. So all that being said, what are your thoughts on scrubbers? You're pretty much committed to them now. What is your outlook for them this year? Well, you know, the, the market right now uh, for the, the spread between low sulfur and high sulfur bunker fuel is is about $100 a ton. Yep. And, you know, the that's basically the the market now we think that the market will get better than that over 2021 as sure. as basically jet fuel and other low sulfur transportation fuels increase uh in demand um you know um we've covered uh already um you know something like half the cost of the scrubbers oh wow uh because we did hedge a bunch of uh, fuel spread at the beginning of 2020, end of 2019. Um, and, you know, I think we'll cover the rest of the cost of the scrubbers in 2021, if, if not, in fact, more than that. And then after, after that, it's pure profit. So, yep. uh, you know, we think it was a, a good decision and uh, you know it's 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 contributed a lot to our earnings in 2020. Yeah, no, that's fair. And right as an economic recovery uh, kind of continues, you'll certainly see more demand for jet fuel, less supply of VLSFO, um, more supply of HSFO as these refineries start running further. So we're with you on kind of a spread expansion throughout 21. Yeah. Um, Martin, I'll start this question uh, to you. Uh, this will be my last question. We have some on the Q&A, which I'll get to in a second. Um, and then others, feel free to chime in, because this is arguably the most important question of the panel, right? We have a lot of investors on the line, a lot of people interested in dry bulk now. We're seeing this counter seasonality. We're seeing the strong outlook, both on the supply and demand side. So with that, pretty much all of your shares uh, have doubled in the last, let's call it, two months, two and a half months. Is this the, the start of something great, uh, like we've seen in 2016 and maybe a few times prior to that? Or have we kind of moved a little too far too fast? Kind of, how do you view the, your stock price currently? What are some drivers and catalysts for further share price appreciation as we get longer into 2021? I think it's only the start. Uh, I, I think uh, share prices like ship values got, got destroyed last year during Corona. Um, since uh, Q2 to the end of uh, end of last year, ship values on the dry cargo side didn't really recover very much, according to, to the brokers, and yet the market yeah. doubled. I think we're now seeing that with with uh, new building prices up five percent, secondhand values arguably arguably going to be up ten percent uh, this quarter, and with that, the NAVs and yes, we have moved up, but still well short of NAV. And I think yep. what investors maybe need to be reminded about shipping this time around, and yes, we've got, we've got to start making profits. It's got to be all of us. But this time, there is no capital program for anyone. There's no new buildings. There's no scrubbers. So if and when we do start to make money, pay down some debt, 
I think we can become all become dividend paying because what are we going to do with the cash? And we're hardly going to go and invest in new buildings, as Hamish said, for what or whatever. So maybe like gold mining companies throwing off cash and maybe that shipping's going to have its day again. But we need to be profitable. And from that point on, it would be, be a nice position to be in. Yeah. Fair. Others, and, please chime in. And just, you know, just to give you a sense of the profitability and I, you know, Randy, you're familiar with this, but, you know, we have about 40,000 ownership days in a year. So $1,000 a day in charter rates, that's $40 million. And $1,000 a day, that's not so much. <laughs> Sure. We, we've seen bigger moves than that in a single day, right? Yes. Um, clearly. Yeah. Lucas, Aristides, any comments? Yes. Uh, Lucas, go ahead. Lucas, go ahead. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, look, the, I mean, in the last decade, I think uh, the dry bulk had suffered a lot, and uh, nobody could argue differently on that. Uh, I think uh, it's a time that we can see uh, some better markets. And uh, we believe that still there is a room uh, and we will see it in the future that uh, uh, asset prices of vessel asset prices will increase. Uh, I, and I think uh, this will uh, support uh, better valuations for uh, stock. Uh, and um, similarly, uh, as uh, Hemi said, uh, with whom also I agree that uh, gradually uh, profits will start uh, uh, being built and uh, so we may have a good uh, certain good opportunities uh, ahead of us uh, you see that we're discussing about price that uh, the, the stock prices doubled the last uh, few months but uh, uh, imagine that uh, we were un at a very uh, very low unprecedented levels uh, the last uh, year so it, it's not that it's a uh, uh, the, the price increased suddenly or doubled from, from a, a, a regular or a standard point. They, they were as low as uh, uh, to levels that we, we, we have not seen. So I think that it's a, uh, it's a correction towards a, a more reasonable uh, price level for all shipping, shipping stock. I, I, it's not uh, that uh, our, the stocks became uh, too expensive uh, suddenly. Yeah, may, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and may I say, uh, the 2000, 2000 to 2010 was a very good year for dry bulk. Extraordinarily good year, de a good decade for dry bulk. Uh, 2010, 2020 was the opposite, an extraordinarily bad uh, decade for for shipping, and it followed the extremely good times that uh, that came before that, and the fact that so many investors got so excited about shipping in general, and dry bulk in particular, that they poured in with new buildings, with new ideas. Uh, this has gone away. We don't have all these uh, investors now building new ships. So we've got a very controlled order book. And I think that we are going to, uh, to, to have a decade. I'm not saying it's going to be like the 2000 to 2010 which was one extreme, but 2010 to 2020 was the other extreme. Between the two extremes, there is a huge difference. And if we are just in the middle, just in an average period, I think we're going to see extremely good, uh, 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 extremely good levels 
for most of the companies. Most of the companies became too levered because of the halving of, of ship values, let's say, and the halving of the revenues or more than halving of the revenues. Now, if, if this just goes back to normal, if we can say there exists a normal, but goes back to median, let's say, uh, uh, that uh, will, uh, will, will result in, uh, in prices uh, of stocks that are close to the NAV or around that level. And the NAV has room to, to go up from the extremely low levels that it was last year. So I'm quite optimistic. Eurosys, our own company, we've been public for 16 years. We were giving dividends out for eight and a half continuous years. Then we've had seven years that we have not give, uh, been able to give dividends. And this, I think, might change this year. We, we will see what we need in order to continue to see a, a good market and see a further improvement is the charter markets to remain decent and hover around median levels. I'm not uh, talking about extreme levels. If we are at median levels, I think we will see good profitability of most companies. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for that. And yeah, I, I joined Jeffrey's Shipping Equity Research in 2011, right? So coming off the great decade, and I was told, yeah, this decade's going to be, it wasn't a great decade. Uh, the past, it was fun. It's been great, um, but obviously not for the equity. So hopefully this upcoming decade, as you all mentioned, could and should be uh, much better than the previous, and, and I'll be here for it. So uh, now let's turn to Q&A. We have about 12 different questions, so uh, let me start. Two of them are around the Australian-China kind of tensions we mentioned earlier, um, and I'll put them together. One is, do you expect the Australian-Chinese tensions to mitigate here in the coming months? So I guess for, for China to, to lift that unofficial ban. And if so, what do you expect to happen with day rates in both the Cape size sector and the Ultramax sector with that restrictions kind of being lifted? I don't necessarily expect restrictions to be lifted. Um, you know, I, I expect the ships that are stranded off China to find other places to deliver their coal. And okay. then that, that will bring some ships that have been basically out of the fleet waiting to figure out what, what happens back into the fleet. But, you know, I, I, I think that Australia is going to have a harder and harder time to deliver coal and even uh, eventually iron ore to China, and that that actually is going to be good for dry bulk. It's an increase in ton miles. The Australian products will go further to find a market, and the Chinese will have to go further to find coal and iron ore. It's, you know, that's up to them, but it's great for us. Sure. So that ban being a good thing. And we touched on that earlier with the expansion yeah. of ton mile demand and inefficiencies and port congestion and all these things. Um, all right, switching gears, here's one from the Panama Canal Authority. Do you consider the possibility of this trade to migrate to a bigger size vessel above the 70 to 80,000 vessels due to the higher demand? So larger dry bulk ships going through the Panama Canal. With the Panama Canal, of course, is, is it, it's, there are certain restrictions, draft, everything else, which you can't get away from. And also, if you look at Panama Canal at the moment, it's fantastic. If you're coming from east to west, there's 12 days uh, delay, a number of days going. So 
they want to put more through the Panama with the delays, it's fine. But that basically that there is a limit and then it all ties in, into the price of fuel. What, what is the most economic way, way to do it? And both canals, Panama and Suez, they tend to gauge it and they charge accordingly, depending on whether it makes more sense to, to go around the Cape or the Capes or not. So uh, it can be, but I, I think the expansion has been done and I think enough is going through, especially where you have the container ships at the moment getting priority. So big delays. So I, I don't think from a bulk perspective that that's a concern we have. And what was it? Panamaxes were designed and, and, and of the, the total Panamax fleet, less than 10% actually went through Panama during their lifetime. So. Yep, that's fair. Um, scrubber question of the current dry bulk fleet. How many, how much of the fleet do you consider to have scrubbers currently? And do you consider scrubber utilization to be a tendency in the dry bulk fleet? I, I, I can give the numbers, but Heims uh, can comment on them. Uh, I think it, it's going to be uh, around 25% of the dead weight uh, will have scrubbers, 50% uh, of the cape size fleet, and 10% uh, of the ship, of the Ultramaxes and Camsermax fleets, on average, uh, will have scrubbers. So these are the numbers from Clarkson's and if Hans wants to comment on that. Yeah. And, you know, look, people with a scrubber are using the scrubber. Um, you know, you, you know, the scrubbers are not so difficult to keep working and people keep them working and, uh, you know, they don't use a, a significant amount of energy to operate. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's really just a question of uh, paying back the investment and, you know, that's looking a lot better. Got it. Um, I may say something on that. It's important uh, to uh, recognize uh, because uh, uh, it is very, uh, it's uh, the technology for, of each scrubber is very important. So certain, uh, as we move along, we will see that uh, certain scrubbers that have been installed from, let's say, from a lesser quality uh, contractors uh, uh, will fail. And so the vessel at certain point of time will need to move to the, uh, to the other fuel, uh, to the compliant fuel. So uh, the question of the scrubber is very important and is in direct relation with the selection of the equipment, how reliable is the equipment? Because it's not a one year exercise or two years exercise. In order to make profits, you need a reliable scrubber for a, a few years. So we will see uh, how reliable are the scrubbers in the following period and uh, how successful uh, each one will be. Got it. And then Lucas, can you comment on your uh, question from the audience, your payback period on your scrubbers? I know Hamish mentioned he says almost half of his paid this year. The rest will be 21. Um, I don't think you locked in similar hedges. So where do you stand in current paybacks? Uh, look, I think that uh, initially, they, I mean, we were never too optimistic about, I mean, you know, because if you calculate, if you, if you do the calculation the top uh, margin, I mean, you feel that uh, you will get the money in one and a half years. So we, we, we always thought that we will do um, something like uh, three years as a payback period. Of course, uh, we received also some money at the, at the first stage uh, where the spreads were quite uh, increased. 
Uh, and then uh, we moved to a period where the spreads were low, 70, 65, uh, 75. Uh, still, we're having a, a payback period on that that could go up to five years. I think that the, the payback period, I believe it will be something like uh, four years for our, for okay. our expenditure. It will not be uh, two and a half or three. It will be, let's say, three and a half, four, based on the price differential. That's fair. Uh, a couple of quick questions here. We'll run through them relatively briefly. Uh, is it possible for China to diversify away from the Australian iron ore when Australia supplied, you know, 700 or so million tons in 2020? Vale production guidance is maybe 400 million tons in 22. Um, now, most of that ban is on coal, right? Because maybe they don't need it as much. But any way China can diversify away from Australian iron ore? No, probably not entirely, but probably partially, right? I, I don't think so. And it's funny how they haven't banned iron ore, isn't it? It's one of those things. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So maybe long term, as we discussed, buying mines, but this isn't going to happen. No, at the end of the day. And if, if infrastructure in America and Europe gets going, there's going to be demand for iron ore. So, uh, I, I, no, I, I think the Australians have it at, at the moment and uh, that isn't going to change anytime soon. Okay. Um, Another question here. There are many leasing companies, especially in China, which are investing in ships in large numbers. How will this affect, one, the traditional ship owners, and two, the market outlook for charter rates? Well, uh, you know, the question is how many leasing companies are going to order dry bulk ships on speculation? And, sure. uh, you know, obviously that is happening to a small extent, um, but most of the leasing companies are really just acting like banks. And if they don't have clients who want to order dry bulk ships, they're not doing lease financing on dry bulk ships. Um, you know, uh Basically, there, there is a demand for additional sources of secured financing because the European shipping bank business is shrinking. Um, but, um, you know, we do not see a large number of ships being ordered on speculation by Chinese leasing companies. So I'm not too worried about it. Okay, that's fair. Um, a few more quick questions here. How do you think U.S. infrastructure spend will affect the dry cargo market? Through the roof, if it happens. Don't say any more than that. Okay. And that's just from importing steel and cement, or what are your comments around it? What drives that? It's, the, it's steel cement, and ultimately, who has the cement? That's China. So as yep. we saw with after Hurricane Katrina, where, where backhaul became front hall, the sheer volume of cement that went in, what can happen? American steel, they'll have to get steel from elsewhere. Could a deal be arranged with China as a way back that maybe China funds some U.S. infrastructure spending and then it's win-win for both? But yes, it'll be incredibly positive for, for, for dry cargo. We, we wait with fingers crossed. Sure, I, I would agree with that. Uh, a couple more questions. Do we see LNG or dual fuel engines um, as the fuel to move in for the dry bulk sector? Obviously, we've seen some container ships with the LNG powered uh, new builds, we've seen some VLCCs on the crude side, getting the dual fuel LNG sector or LNG powered um, new builds. Is that gonna happen in the dry bulk sector or are y'all expecting just to wait for ammonia or hydrogen? 
Well, I, I, you know, I, I think we are waiting and seeing. Um, you know, LNG obviously has certain benefits, but there are certain drawbacks as well. Uh, you know, first of all, it's still a fossil fuel. Uh, it doesn't necessarily solve the political problem around fossil fuels. Um, there is inevitably methane slip, which can occur before the methane gets to the ship, to a, to a great extent, actually, before the methane gets to the ship. It's a problem that might be solvable on the ship, but is not currently solved. Uh, and of course, methane in the air is a much more potent greenhouse gas than CO2. Hmm. Uh, so wh while there have been a few dry bulk ships built with LNG, um, it's not obvious to us that this is the way forward. Uh, and so w we're still uh, waiting. Noted. That's fair. Um, I think we have two more questions. Did labor costs show a meaningful increase last year as a result of disruptions caused by COVID, problems relocating, rotating crews? Um, where do you stand in that regard? Or, or have all your crews been kind of offloaded off those kind of stranded ships? We heard seafarers on board for a year, right? Um, and what is your outlook for this upcoming year regarding cost and crew changes and those things? I think that uh, labor costs, specifically the crew changes and the related costs, uh, uh, were quite uh, increased uh, because uh, everything uh, had uh, went up. So tickets and the waiting period in certain ports, I mean, that you had to stay in quarantine for 14 days. Uh, so all these things uh, accumulated, and I think that... Uh, almost all companies in shipping will be affected by that. Uh, in our view, uh, I think that uh, this cost is uh, overall a little bit more expensive, but it, it is absorbed by other parameters of our cost. So I believe that OPEX will be roughly uh, similar to the previous year. Uh, in the future, I think that uh, even this year, we'll, we'll continue to have, let's say, higher cost for the full year. I don't expect that uh, costs uh, uh, will uh, decrease in relation to crude changes. Uh, from, our from our side, from our point of view, uh, we made uh, almost all changes that were required uh, by diverting ships uh, to the Philippines quite often and uh, do whatever was necessary because the important thing is that uh, to maintain uh, a let's say, a strong and competent crew on board and not tired crew uh, over, let's say, 10 or 12 months. Sure. All right, last question. Uh, I know we had a robust uh, Q&A here, but wanted to make sure we got them all in. How are the panelists keeping track of the Carbon Intensity Index, the CII, across their fleet? What initiatives have they put in place to improve it? And what are they doing around the ESG front? Well, uh, maybe I can start, um, you know, we, we've put out uh, our second sustainability report uh, that's on our website um, that, that touches on uh, our environmental efforts, our uh, societal efforts, our, our, our governance situation. Um, 
and uh, you know we're we're paying a lot of intention attention to the the carbon intensity of our fleet. Um, we have been looking at um, you know what we can do in terms of our engines. We've been looking at route optimization, speed optimization, you know, alternative fuels. Um, uh, basically, uh, uh, hybrid uh, power generation on board ships. Um, we've been looking at uh, modifications to our ships, for example, using um, gate rudders on even existing ships, uh, and you know, propeller modifications. Um, you know, we're looking at at everything. And uh, we've got uh, a, a, uh, an in-house uh, vessel performance monitoring department that pays close attention to the energy efficiency of the fleet. Um, you know, this, this, is, this is becoming a very high-tech effort. And, uh, you know, I, th I think... Uh, my my physics training in my youth is is coming in handier and handier as time goes by I okay. if i may say also a couple of uh, points i think that uh, as a company uh, we don't uh, go too much too much the technicality of uh, the reports but we have ordered uh, a couple of uh, new technology ships which are for sure have the, the best uh, uh, carbon intensity index and the best uh, EDI index. And uh, a, an important thing uh, to recognize uh, is uh, the fact that uh, uh, each ship uh, and the technology with which it was built defines its consumption to a great extent. So although certain changes can be done, I don't think that too many things uh, can be done. And uh, there is a great variety out there in the market. And uh, we need to see the ships from which ships were, they were produced quite often, let's say Chinese ships uh, before 2010 uh, were quite uh, inefficient. Uh, so, uh, the, I mean, in all these ships that were built to be inefficient, you cannot make too much to make them better unless you, you, slow, you slow them down. And this is also an opportunity up to a level that uh, can be still competitive. Uh, I think that uh, the important thing is uh, always to be at the end of the technology, to be ahead of the technology. And uh, that's why, and we are quite happy in St. Vargas that uh, our fleet is always, I mean, most of the, the majority of fleet was built in uh, Japanese shipyards uh, with uh, very good specifications, with uh, generally com uh, better efficiencies compared to several other uh, uh, shipyards. And uh, this uh, pays back at the end of, the, of their life when the technology changes. Let me, can I add one thing? Please. I think, I, I think that the whole industry is looking at it very seriously. It's not only uh, a matter of uh, specific companies. Uh, it's the whole industry that through the IMO uh, is, and with the IMO, is working quite uh, quite hard in trying to reduce emissions worldwide uh, for, for shipping. So this is something that is happening. Uh, 
we all know that we have to reduce emissions uh, by 2030 uh, and uh, work is being done. It's a very aggressive program to try and find how we can reduce them down to zero, which is the ultimate limit. But uh, the industry is working hard uh, uh, for that. And sorry. Uh, is working re really hard towards uh, that direction. And all the rules that are being implemented are towards that direction. The MRV requires that every ship uh, records uh, what it uh, um, what it omits. So uh, I am very confident that not only as a company, the listed companies are paying even more attention are coming out with sustainability reports. We will be coming out with our own sustainability report uh, this uh, within the next three months. Uh, they are more open about it, but the effort is within the whole industry. And I think we've understood it well and uh, it's just that we're really waiting for the breakthrough on technology to enable us to go to the next level. Awesome. Well, I know uh, that's pretty much it on our end on the Q&A side, but wanted to give each of you 20 seconds uh, if you have any kind of closing remarks, something you didn't say that you wish you would have. So 20 seconds each um, if you want it. Um, Aristides, we'll start with you. No, I, we've covered everything. Go ahead. All right, Martin, any closing comments? I just think we're in for interesting times, finally. So we had a wonderful the, the 2000, 2010, then we had a terrible 10 years. All markets recover. The people getting out now, throwing the towel in. All things considered, I don't want to jinx it, but uh, I think it's uh, we, we have potential here, finally. Yep, that's fair. Lucas, what you got? I would like to wish to everybody good health and a prosperous uh, year. Uh, I think that uh, the previous period was quite challenging and uh, we deserve to have a better period uh, this year. And uh, it looks like uh, uh, that it's quite likely. Uh, we as a company, as a management, will continue. We have, a, let's say, a very strong management team. We will continue to do our business. And uh, hopefully we will make us say much stronger uh, during this this uh, the next year. And For sure. I Amos, just like to remark. remind people that you know forty thousand ownership days per year means a thousand dollars a day drops forty million to the bottom line. Starbucks plug noted. Awesome. <laughs> We're all well, shareholders. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I too am pretty bullish on the dry bulk outlook here. Uh, supply is obviously very low. Uh, demand should inflect uh, this year. So thank you so much for the time to the four gentlemen on the panel. Thank you, Capital Link, for the opportunity. Um, obviously, uh, I really enjoyed looking at you all, but I'd much rather be looking at my one week old. So I'm going to sign off here. <laughs> and uh, thanks again. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll talk soon. I'd like to thank thanks, you all. Uh, it's been a great uh, webinar, very insightful, spot on. Uh, on March 2nd and 3rd, we're hosting our flagship uh, spring uh, shipping conference. So last year, it was gloom and doom. It was just as everything was getting locked down. This yep. March, I think, uh, and I will go back to Martin, who said, let's not jinx it. I, I think the sentiment is very different. So the title of our conference is sailing into recovery 
And I think uh, with this, I will uh, again, thank you. By the way, our next webinar is on uh, February 3rd on the container market, another booming market. So please log in and don't forget March 2nd and 3rd. Uh, Randy, Martin, Aristides, Camus, and Lucas, tremendous thanks. It's been an amazing uh, panel. Thank you. Thanks. Thank, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.